0: So week number one, So which means we jump out of a verse-by-verse verse book and we're going to concentrate on Advent. And Advent means, what does Advent mean? Coming. I didn't know that for years and years and years. Am I the only one that didn't know that? Advent means coming. All right, so no clicker up here. So this scripture here says uh, in Psalms, It says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we're talking this week about Jesus from everlasting to everlasting. That's a concept that just blows your mind. Try to to meditate on that one. Sit around, get quiet, and think about from everlasting to everlasting, without beginning, without end. In this next verse, uh, before we get into what we're going to look at, John's Gospel, chapter 1, Solomon, when he was dedicating the temple, he said, But will God really dwell on earth, the heavens, even the highest heaven, can't contain you, how much less this temple I have built. So that, there's a good question. Will God really dwell on earth? Why did Solomon even ask that? Was he thinking that God would come into the temple and just occupy that space? Because even the highest heaven can't contain you. <clears throat> God has created the heavens and the earth, he's outside of them, so certainly even the whole creation can't contain him. So we're going to look at John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. And this is pretty interesting because we just finished 1 John, one of his letters. John wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the Revelation, and he wrote 1, Second, and 3 John. And and first John when we looked at it he was talking about his experience that he had with Jesus. He said we touched him, we heard him, you know, we walked with him, we ate with him. But in John's gospel he takes a different approach than the one that he was uh, walking with. He takes the the approach here that Jesus is the one from heaven. There's four gospels, right? And each one of them is written with a different audience in mind, written by a different writer. And you can read any gospel and get as much out of it as you need to get out of it. But each one wrote with a particular audience in mind. And Matthew writes with the Hebrew audience, the Jewish audience in mind. And as such, he's showing that Jesus is the Messiah that they had been waiting for for all of these centuries. Advent, looking for the Messiah to come, the advent of the Messiah. And as such, he shows that Jesus is the one who's the fulfillment of all of the prophecies, but he's also the one who comes from the family tree of King David. So when he starts the gospel, he starts with this genealogy to show that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. He could have sat on the throne of Israel. And that's what they were looking for. They were looking for their earthly king to come back and to sit on that throne and to rule again. I told some people this week, I um, had the opportunity to, to pray with some people that were coming to Christ, and I told them, you know, go read the Bible, go read the New Testament, and I thought, oh man, they're going to start with Matthew, <laughs> and when they start with Matthew, what are they going to read? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah, Judah was the father of brothers. his brothers, Perez and Zerah, and Zerah's mother Tamar. In Paris, <laughs> so what do you do with all of that with your first introduction to the Bible? What do you do with all of that? Well, if you're Jewish and living in the first century, uh, you're being shown that Jesus who came was the rightful heir to the throne. He was the one who could rule Israel. But he was not going to only going to rule Israel, but he was going to rule the world. That's what the Christmas carols say, right? He's going to rule the world. So, but will God really dwell on earth? So, let's read um, John. Let's read verses 1 through 14. And how about if somebody wants to stand up real loud and read that for us. And we'll try to follow along with whatever translation you are reading in. All right. What translation are you reading out of? Oh, all right. (laughs)
1: in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was (coughs) with God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness to the light, of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right,
0: so we beheld his glory. In this next slide, it should show a picture of the tabernacle, which in the Old Testament... This would be right in the middle of the camp, and if you were with us this, uh, this summer, we talked about the, the tabernacle, and what, that thing was planted right in the middle of the 12 tribes, and if you pulled out, you'd see the 12 tribes all around that tabernacle. Tabernacle means tent tent and tabernacle. Tabernacle is a different kind of tent because it's used for a different kind of purpose and a tent you might live in and a tabernacle you might use for something else like this for a place of worship. So that's an odd thing. That's the, that's the glory of God. That's a picture of Jesus, the, 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 the glory of God. Well, there's the, as soon as you come in there, there's the sacrifice. The first thing that happens is the sacrifice and Then you go into the holy place and there would be this cloud there by day and a fire by night. And if there was a cloud over it, they would pick up and they would follow the cloud. They would follow the fire. And so the idea was that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this was a picture of the glory of God dwelling among his people. And I don't know how they got it. If I was living in that time and that thing was living in the midst of our camps, I don't know if I would get it. And I'm not sure that they all got it. But coming back on the New Testament and looking backwards, you certainly can start to understand what was going on there. The glory of God in the midst of his people. Um, the next one here, this verse, uh, 1 Kings, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, after Solomon dedicates the temple, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. So the glory of the Lord, and what John is talking about is the glory of the Lord. If you were an ancient Hebrew, this whole idea of the glory of the Lord followed you throughout your youth, followed you through your adolescence, followed you into your adult life, followed you until um, the end of your life. This idea of the glory of God dwelling among us. God has consistently interacted with his people and he's appeared to them. But to dwell on earth, would God dwell on earth with people? Um, Well, the Gospels, I think we have another verse up here. Um, The Gospels, meaning the good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us glimpses of God dwelling among us, of Jesus, God himself who had taken on flesh. And what it says in John's gospel is that Jesus did many other things besides these glimpses that we get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get these little pictures. But John tells us at the end of his gospel that Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for the books that would have been written. So back to John chapter 1. Let's look at this next one. It's asking us, who was or who is Jesus? Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. a difficult statement to unpack. In the beginning was the Word, All right. What's the Word? Well, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So He's with God, but He is God. So which one is it? Is He with Him, or is, or is He God? This harkens back, really, to Genesis 1.1. When you get to the end of the New Testament and you go backwards, Genesis 1.1, it's all there. It's just all packed into that first verse. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we've said before that that word there for God is Elohim, which is plural God. Well, what do you mean a plural God? There's a compound unity God. There's something going on with God where God is more than just singular God he's plural God right from the very beginning and so this harkens all the way back and it speaks of the eternal nature of Jesus in the beginning was the word and the word was with uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God speaking of the eternal nature of Jesus no start but it, but an infinite state how does that work existence that transcends time because what it tells us in Genesis is that time comes when matter comes when matter and space come then time comes and we know that now we know relativity we understand that that time and space are connected you can't have one without the other one and so God creates what he creates and when he created the universe he created time But just like Solomon said that all of the heavens, the highest heavens can't contain you, he's outside of time. No start. Existence that transcends time. And again, John completely ignores in his gospel, where Matthew gives the genealogy, John completely ignores any birth account like the other gospels do, like Matthew and Luke, and he just presents this pre-existing, always existing, Even pre-existing isn't a good word because it's everlasting from everlasting. He always existed. The always existing Christ. Not a new existence, not like when you go to the hospital and a new baby is born. He's always existed, but he came in the form of a baby. That which has always existed from everlasting to everlasting comes and appears in the form of a baby We call that Christmas, it's Advent, it's the coming of the Lord, it's the incarnation in flesh. God came in flesh. That's what the Christmas carols say, right? Uh, Word of the Father, how does it go? Word of the Father, now in flesh. You didn't know that you sang that your whole life, did you? You didn't know that that was in uh, <laughs> all the department stores, that the department stores are blaring out great theology. Um, of course, I don't know, can you go to a department store and buy things anymore? Why oh, I just turn on an internet radio station and browse Amazon. So um, he's the word of God. He is the word of God. And here's a, a great quote by, by John Phillips, if we can put that up there. It says that... Uh, that this is who he is, that is, in his essence, in what he actually is, in his nature, person, and personality, in his attributes, in his character, Jesus is all that God is. That's a great statement. But even that statement falls short of who he actually is. That is, in his essence, the essence of Jesus, in what he actually is, Jesus, in his nature, In his person, in his personality, in his attributes, in his character, Jesus is all that God is. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is God like? Look at Jesus. That's who he is. God in flesh appearing. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. All the essential characteristics of deity are his. The pre-existing one, the one from everlasting to everlasting... He exists in his own right. He is independent of all creation. He's the creator himself. Genesis one twenty six brings us to that idea again where it says, let, uh, it says, let us make... Can you put that up, Genesis one twenty six. It says, let us make man in our image. <clears throat> And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Um, let us. Who is the us? So Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, you have in the beginning God, compound God, compound unity, Elohim, creates the heavens and the earth. You get down to Genesis one twenty six, and who is he talking to? Who's God talking to? God is speaking, and when he's speaking, he says, let us make man, humanity, people in our image, in our, plural, likeness, and let them, plural, it's going to be a man and a woman, rule over the fish of the sea. I don't know how good we're doing with ruling over the fish of the sea. I go fishing and I never catch anything, so (laughs) they are evading me, I can tell you that. But let us. So again, you have that compound unity. There's something going on in heaven. There's something going on in the creation of people where God, plural, is saying, let's make people who also will be plural in our image. That which is from everlasting to everlasting, coming and taking upon himself the form of a servant being born in in, in the life of a baby, being born in the flesh, the incarnation from everlasting to everlasting. Um, And this, this whole equality with God, this triunity concept, it's a bit difficult to grasp. In fact, you can't really grasp it. But it shows up all throughout Scripture. This idea of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. I think there's a, a, an, another slide there, if you can try to move along with me. My clicker is gone. So this equality with, with God, the triunity concept, is a bit difficult to grasp. So it goes like this, that God, if you go down, God is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. I'll go back to that one, please. Go back. Oh, there we
1: are.
0: <laughs> Get ahead of me. The Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. But the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. How does that work? How does that work? How well, the works. And it blows your mind. And, and God, the, God, the Son, Jesus, comes and dwells with us for a little while. Tabernacles with us. When we looked at that picture of the tabernacle, he tabernacles with us for a little while. He was with us. And then he died on the cross for our sins, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, poured out the Holy Spirit just like he said he would, and he is ruling at the right hand of God forever and ever and ever. Here's the next one. So this structure is seen everywhere. It's seen everywhere. It's seen in the universe. We already looked at that verse. You see it where it's space, matter, and time. You have that three, you have that compound unity. So the very universe that we're living in is made up of this tri-unity, is made up the, of this trinity concept. And even space itself has length and breadth and height. Right? And then time, well, time also has that. Time has past, present, and future. And we know now that Everything that is made is made out of that which is not seen. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. And, of course, in the age of the Enlightenment, when we got really smart in the 1700s and started to discover that our brains were more efficient than God, we got rid of God and tried to get rid of God. And people said of that verse in Hebrews, this idea that... uh, Everything that we see is made out of that which cannot be seen. It's just false. It just makes the Bible false. Well, what did we discover 200 years later? We discovered we came into the atomic age, (coughs) and everything that you see, everything that is here, is made up out of atoms. And atoms are made out of what? Oh, lo and behold, they're made out of this triunity. They're made out of this unity. Protons, neutrons, and electrons. Even human beings. Human beings are made body Spirit and soul, body, soul, and spirit. Now, here's what happens, though, if you're not born again, you're walking around as a soul inside of a body. And you may be a very interesting soul, because your soul is everything that makes you, your personality, who you are, what you like, how you act, how you perceive things, how you create, how you interact. It's you, your soul, and there's nobody else quite like you. People are similar to you in your soul, and people are similar to you in your body. But there's nobody like you. It's a beautiful thing. Human beings are an amazing thing when they're just a body and soul. They're amazing. Humans are great. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's when you're born again that you get spiritual life, and there you get your connection with God. You're born again. Body, soul, and spirit. And this really is the signature of God. You find it in everything. You find it in all of the creation. You find it in all of life. My, my wife likes great artists. And she takes me to art museums. But I don't know what I'm doing in an art museum. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm just, I'm just completely lost. I don't know what's going on here. But she can look at a picture, and she can tell me. She said, I think that that's probably so-and-so, and we go up, and sure enough, it's so-and-so. Like, how can she tell that it's so-and-so? Because when an artist creates something, they have their signature, they have their form. It looks like them. And so when God does something, He has his signature, He has its form. It looks like him. And now they're saying, well, here's what they're saying now is with this atoms' thing, protons, and neutrons and electrons they're saying yes, but there might be smaller particles than that. There might be these quarks, these quarks, these things that are smaller than that. And I said, "But I have a prediction. If there is, I bet they come in threes. (laughs) In fact, I can almost guarantee that they'll come in threes. Because God has his signature, and God does what God does, and you find it everywhere. And John's gospel will bring this claim of Jesus being God to us in human flesh to the forefront. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It says here, That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Well, I don't know. Um, We talk about being creative. We talk about making things. There are many creative people in the room. People who are creative with wood, people who are creative with metal, people who are created with sounds, uh, people who are created with writing. But here's the thing. We shouldn't even use the word create because you're not creating anything. You're just taking existing materials (laughs) and existing things and you're reordering them. And so it really should be recreating, but we already use that word recreation for something else. But you're recreating something based on the material that you've been given to work with. And God has put these things into the universe. And so we can take them and we can recreate with them. And he's told us to recreate with these things. When he took us and made us, he told us that what we were supposed to do was take the earth and subdue it. Get control of this thing. And so anybody who's a scientist, all they're doing is discovering the things that are there. Anybody who's a creative, all they're doing is, to, is taking the things that are there and discovering that you can do new things with it. And there's a lot more new things that you can do that nobody's ever done before. And people in this room can do those things. You can figure out all kinds of new things to do, all kinds of creative things to do. So God is the creator. There's, let's look at this one here. Colossians 1.16 Um, It says, for by him, the Apostle Paul, saying what John has already said, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and things invisible. Well, that might have blown your mind, right, when you were, uh, you know, in the first century reading that. You know, what kind of invisible things are there? Well, I guess there's heat, I guess there's wind, uh, I guess there's atoms. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, and all things are created for him. He has created everything. He is above all powers. We used to sing a song here that says that. Above all powers. Oh, somebody singing it. How's it go? Above all powers. Above all thrones. Is that how it says? Above all nature things <laughs> what does it say it says uh above all wisdom, oh above all wisdom in all the ways of man um uh, you were there before the world began i'm going to I'm going to look it up all the, i'm going to read it to you so uh above all powers above all powers this song um I don't know who actually wrote it. Who wrote it? Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature in all created things, above all wisdom in all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms and above all thrones, Above all wonders that the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of this earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Above all powers. Michael W. Smith was invited to sing at the inauguration of the first Bush. What was he? Was he H? George? Oh, he was H.W.? I didn't know that. Oh, that's right, H.W. So George H.W. Bush. So Michael W. Smith was invited to sing at the inauguration, and this is the song he sang. Can you imagine being, in, being there? And he was in the smaller uh, meeting, not the larger one. He's there, in, uh, and he's singing, above, above all powers, above all kings. Is that how you honor the president coming in? Hey, by the way, there's somebody higher than you. <laughs> by the way, this is a great day, but there's somebody greater than you. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature, all created things, above all kingdoms and all thrones, sitting around all of that wealth and all of that power and all of that treasure, and Michael W. Smith sings, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, above all of that, above all that. Those guys became fast friends, actually, and they ended up vacationing together frequently. Um, So... Above all powers, he's the creator of 100 million galaxies whirling through space at unbelievable speeds, and everything is staying in order. I think we might have a picture of the galaxies, do we? There they are, our galaxy, the Milky Way, 100,000 light years in diameter revolving at a speed of 200 miles per hour, two million years to complete a revolution. Ah, That's order, right? That's order. 100,000 light years in diameter. Who can even fathom that? Who can think about that? Who can... You can't get it. And this this is the God who came and dwelt in flesh among us, the advent, came and dwelt and born as a child. Humbled himself, is what it said. And then humbled himself even to the death on a cross to die for us, to reconcile us back to God, the one who made this. And that's just our galaxy, the Milky Way. 100,000 light years in diameter. Um, the next one. So all things large and small he created. That's the big stuff, and we get some small stuff as well. And so um, they say that the star... Uh, and and teres could hold 64 million suns who can think about that 64 million suns what is that about and and it could contain that one star in the constellation hercules that star could contain 100 million stars the, the, the size of that it's just unfathomable and this is the god who created the maker of the universe and when we start to talk about this nobody can fathom this stuff and you can't fathom it because our minds are finite. All we can do is just sort of talk about it and theorize about it. You can't really get it. You can know it, but you can't get it. You just can't get it. And that's, that's the, the big stuff. And what about the small stuff? Well, we already talked about the atom, the building bar, block of the universe, which is less than a millionth of an inch in diameter. It's pretty small. That's pretty small. Here's the next one. This one's kind of fun. Um, Sand. Now, fact check me on this one. (laughs) That, That if you were to take one drop of water, just a drop of water, the molecules in that one drop of water could convert to the same number of grains of sand where you could put them in a line and you could go all the way across the USA. That's how many molecules are in a drop of water. So if you took them and turned them into grains of sand, and it'd be a lot of work. <laughs> you know, you're making that pathway, you know, with the, with the little grains of sand. Somebody look it up. Somebody, somebody Google it. Google how many molecules in a, in a drop of water we'll move on, and then you can come back and you can give us that answer. And so you're just as complicated. Uh, Our cells are incredibly complex. You've got 200 billion molecules of atoms that make you up. Wow. No wonder nobody can figure you out. Here's the thing about this, though. Here's the thing about understanding us and understanding the makeup of us. We are now in the DNA age. Um, The guy who headed up the uh, DNA project, Francis Collins, he's, uh, he's in the news quite a bit as well. Francis Collins, when he started this project some 25 years ago, trying to map DNA, he was what was known as an agnostic. Gnostic means knowledge. You put an A in front of it, it means no knowledge. So he had... No knowledge of really who God was. He didn't really care. He wasn't wasn't hostile. He wasn't trying to prove any points. He just didn't have space for God in his life. A lot of people don't have space for God in their life. Does that make them an agnostic? I guess you're an agnostic if you sort of admit that you don't know. Well, that's kind of where Collins was at. When he started to work with all of these researches on DNA, the DNA in human beings, right? As he worked on this, He came to the conclusion over a long period of time that there was order going on in humans. Complexity of order. And and because there was complexity of order, he started to conclude that there's got to be a designer because all of this stuff is intricate and all of this stuff works together. There's something there. There's something happening. There, There must be design behind it. And this is spurred off a movement that's not a religious movement that's, that's a science movement, but although there's an awful lot of spiritual people and Christian people who are involved in it, a movement called intelligent design, that there's an intelligence behind the universe. And Collins, as he moved into that idea of intelligent design, he actually became a theist. What does that mean? He actually believed that there was a God, that there was a God. And he eventually came to the conclusion that that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that his only begotten son is Jesus. Now I don't know how much further he's gone with his faith with that. But it's been a very long journey for him. But because of the complexity of of the DNA, he came to the conclusion that there was a God. And then he had to wrestle with the idea, well then who is that God? who is that God? And he said it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's something happening right now around us that that the old evolutionary worldview is starting to crumble and fall apart. Because people who are coming up in the new sciences are discovering and operating on the basis that there's order to this, that it's not random, that it's completely ordered. And and if you look at complete order, you have to come to the conclusion at some point that there's an orderer. Right? We've been quoting Einstein where he said, and nobody could really plug Einstein where they wanted to to plug him spiritually. But what he said about God was he said, when a child goes into a library full of books, the child knows somebody wrote them. It's that simple. Somebody did it. So Einstein is you know, maybe the original um, intelligent design person. But, but the old is falling apart as, as it's clear that there's design. It's not random. Random things aren't necessarily happening. That it's design. And we were designed. We're incredibly complex. And it's this creator that made us this way. And it's this creator that came from heaven and dwelt in a body and was born on Christmas Day. When was Jesus born? He was born Christmas Day. When was Christmas Day? I don't know when Christmas Day was. Nobody knows, Nobody knows when Christmas Day is. Um, so we're incredibly complex. And so it's, so it's God coming to us. God coming to us. Um, he came into the world, and then it says that he was not recognized, that his own did not recognize him. He was in the world, verse 10, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I want to camp out on that through idea for a while. Not here, I want to do it myself. I haven't looked at it enough. What does it mean? It happened through him. The creation happened through him. Was it by him? Was it through him? What does that mean? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Hebrew people, but his own didn't receive him. They rejected him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle, his tent among us, and we've seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That idea of tabernacling again. uh, Peter uses this as well about our bodies. He says our bodies are like tents. And we live in these tents for a while and then we put off these tents. And Jesus came in and lived in this tent for a little while. And what John tells us is that Jesus is life and that Jesus came to give us life. What do you need for physical life? You need air, you need water, you need food. That's what you need. And John tells us that the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have life to the full. So the life that he gives us is fullness of life now and eternal life forever. He can give eternal life. He can confer eternal life to you. He can give you eternal life because he is the one who has life. He can give you life. He can give you physical life. He can give you eternal life. If you look at these next scriptures with John, what he says here about what we need for life, everything we need for life he's given to us. Everything you need. You start in the bottom one. What do you need? You need some bread. You need some food in order to to survive. Well, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Everything that we need for life and godliness, spiritual life and physical life, he has given to us. He's the bread of life. You need water. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And um, You need water. You'll fight harder for air than anything. And then after that, you need water. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink talking to that Samaritan woman? You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That Samaritan woman, so amazing, the outcast lady. You see, if you were, if you were a Hebrew man in the first century, they, uh, they had their issues. People have always had issues. To think that, that people having issues you know, and bigotry issues is a new thing, it go, it's, it's always been there. It's always been there. If you were were a Jewish man, you would say, I thank God that I wasn't born a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. And Jesus is talking to this Gentile woman. We don't know that she was a slave. I don't think it doesn't seem like she was. But he's talking to her, and Jesus has the most meaningful theological conversation that he has with anybody in the Gospels with this woman. With this gentile woman i love that about jesus he just breaks down all the bigotry he just breaks down all the barriers and goes straight to the lady and has this theological conversation with her about the nature of god and how people worship and what are his disciples talking about hey who's gonna be the who's gonna be the best jesus me or john who do you like be- who you like who you like better <laughs> Jesus is like, I kind of like the woman at the well, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, and then the, the next one is breath of life. Oh, sorry, you can go back there. But well, Jesus gives us breath. He breathes on his disciples. He breathes on his disciples. And then the last one, you get into, you go a little bit further, and it tells us that he talks about light and life. The thief comes to destroy. Jesus gives us everything that we need for life.